At the end of the day, some people prefer to relax with a glass of wine in their favorite TV show, if they have access to the remote control. But other people prefer to keep their hands busy and their minds active. That's what led James Mortlock to leathercrafting. I stumbled upon a specific YouTuber that did just no talking, just making leathercraft stuff and it was beautifully shot and the audio was amazing. This was before everyone was putting um, ASMR across everything. Um, it, it, was just, it was just beautiful and I thought, how hard could it be? Tried it, very hard, um, and just got less and less bad at it effectively. There's like the kind of creativity side of my, um, I guess of my brain that I don't necessarily always get to explore with every single part of my job. So it's good to be able to flex that sort of um, creativity side of the brain. There's something meditative in the hobby for James. Who knew making a wallet could bring you one step closer to enlightenment? I'm not a big fan of just sitting, watching TV and that sort of stuff. I need to be kind of being productive and creative and doing something. So this was good because I could sit on the sofa and do it with other people around. And it's, it's very meditative. I do um, sort of like mental health, neurodiversity talks and stuff like that. Um, and talking about meditation, about um, focusing the non-complicated side of your brain um, and turning the complicated one off that's like, oh, I've got to pay this bill and these need washing and the kids need picking up, all that sort of stuff that you turn that side off and just let the left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand take over and you just feel yourself unwind a little bit. So yeah, it's meditative and uh, keeps me busy. And the rewarding part of leather crafting is that it yields a tangible output, something you can hold in your hand or give to a loved one. Not to mention that it's opened up James to a new community of friends with a shared interest. Started out just making like really basic card holders, so like three pockets one either side and one in the middle type thing, practicing um, stitching and uh, yeah, it, it kind of evolved into things like little mugs, um, wallets and backpacks and stuff like that. So um, yeah, just wherever my brain kind of sparked off to um, do a sketch and then try and turn it into a, uh, turn it into a reality, which is uh, a lot harder than just writing it down. <laughs> easier said than done comes to mind. I myself am neurodiverse, so that whole being able to have um, something to focus on that has a tangible output that if you need something quick, you can make something quick um, and gets you that really, um, yeah, you can feel literally um, and figuratively and emotionally, you can feel that sense of achievement. When I start talking about something that I know bits and pieces on or I'm passionate about there's no stopping me so uh, like going and meeting like-minded people um, and people coming to my stall and asking me about stuff yeah that's the I think that's the real achievement there is being able to connect with other people and uh, share a little dark corner of the the world or illuminate a dark corner of the world they didn't really know existed this is the ready tesco podcast brought to you by applause I'm David Carty Today's guest is leather crafter and lead UAT test manager at Vodafone, James Mortlock. Beyond his testing background, James has experience with automation. In fact, he constructed the first UAT automation of voice assistants via Raspberry Pi. He was also a product owner for analytics implementation, and he was even a scrum master. So 
You can believe him when he says the purpose of software testing is often poorly understood across the organization, and sometimes even by testers themselves. It's easy to fall into a pattern of behavior and never question why you are performing a certain task and whether it delivers any real value. So how should we reframe how we look at this critical task of software testing to ultimately deliver more value with the approach? Well, that's for James to know and for us to find out. James, I love the premise of this episode, the why of software testing. So let's start by answering that question. Why do we test software and what should be the stated goal of testing software? Um, so yeah, interesting question. And it can be as kind of, I guess, as deep and as shallow as um, you want it to be. But the, I guess the why came from, probably came from my personality a little bit because it's just that this constant like why, why? Like if, it's, if the answer doesn't kind of solve the solution, I'll just keep going for the solution. Let's kind of start the, the, the big one for me with, um, with testing and the way that um, like development solutions and um, architecture, everything has evolved, that testing isn't what it used to be. Um, it's not the, uh, like the developers all produce code and it, in comparison to modern day standards now, it was, it was awful. Um, and you would need that, that testing was absolutely required to make sure that it functionally worked. And that's now not the thing. We're now in the state of play where people are like unit tests, question mark, like, do we even need unit tests? Cause high, the software quality is so high that we're now kind of moving out and up closer towards the, um, kind of UI end of things. Um, so it's, it's completely transformed the, uh, the kind of like what, what testing actually means and the test engineer or just tester, um, doesn't really exist anymore. Um, it's not now more like quality assurance and it's very generalized. Like you can, you can use quality assurance in any, um, industry, any role, and you can, you can have a decent conversation for 95% of it and not need to be in the same industry because you're you're there to make sure that you're being an ambassador for effectively doing the right thing. You're like the guardian of um, the user experience about a lot of it will be baking in quality right at the start. So making sure that you have quality assurance, not only you have an actual person that is regarded as quality assurance, but have it there as a, as an ethos with everybody. So you have things like the quality narrative. What's the quality narrative within your company? Um, and it's like, who does, who owns quality? It was, well, everybody does, right? If you want it to be um, fast and cheap and really high standard, like that it is possible, just everybody needs to be thinking the right way. So you're not only there to catch the um, human error right at the start. So um, static testing, I guess. Um, but you're there to kind of beat it into people really so that when the documents then reproduced or the next program or project is uh, started, the, the, the level of quality is just higher, even in the documentation process. It's like, it's the same sort of idea of like testing was a big thing and unit tests were huge. And now it's the opposite way around. Um, it's the same sort of thing with building quality and so that you can um, focus on improving the customer experience rather than efficiency in lines of code. Right, right. And you touched on a few things there that I, that I want to ask you about a little bit later on. Um, 
But just because we should test software doesn't mean that we should blindly test everything the way that it was done before, right? So mm -hmm. how can organizations make sense of what does or do does not deliver value when it comes to testing? See, I've probably touched on this on loads of times that I talk about this, but it's all about the like the results and um, to kind of, again, talk about it again, because it's quite a, um, uh, an interesting topic. It's pulling people's safety, safety blankets away um, in terms of getting rid of, rid of unit testing. Like how many times have you had a bug that would have gone into production that was caught by unit tests? Like it, it may take, what, 45 seconds to run and a couple of minutes to write, but extrapolate that across the lifetime of a project and whatnot is is pointless. Like you should be making sure that you are just just the way some of the bigger tech companies have automatic um, deletion of dead bits of code. Same same happens with not only test cases and regression cycles and regression suites, but techniques as well. Like sometimes techniques will die out, um, and you need to repurpose them or remove them. So it's about making sure that you're not falling into the trap of just because it's quick um, means it's it's cheap and therefore just do it um, squeeze every penny um, be it be really um, really efficient with it and if it's the pesticide paradox right if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again um, the bugs are going to get resistant if you're talking about real life but you're not going to find anything all the bugs will be where you're not testing so if you focus on that's where you've built the quality really um really high if you focus on um that all the time the bugs will be outside of this area so stop testing there start testing somewhere else and if you start to see a re-emergence of um issues and bugs then that's where you have to be flexible and like re-implement new strategies and increase um kind of quality assurance in that area so you, you don't need to test like that the testing in theory should just be like testers in theory shouldn't exist. You should be redundant um, because the quality of the software is so high that you don't need to test anymore. Right. That's the, that's the idea We're there as a, as a, as kind of like a bat stop. Um, it's not the silver bullet that everybody thinks it is. The silver bullet is better quality. It's not te more testing. Right, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's an interesting idea, talking about unit tests being redundant. And uh, you, you hit on that a little bit already. Are there other QA techniques or approaches that organizations should take a little bit of a deeper look at in terms of the value that they deliver and whether or not those are redundant as well? So, yes, for every company, like even the ones that are like best in class and even the ones that are just starting up and don't really have any like quality assurance is just developer production. Um, it, but it's, it's like, it's going to be one of those cliches, but it, it's personal to the, the company um, in terms of where the quality has been built and it's where you're not seeing issues. Um, it reminds me very much of the, um, I'm not sure if you've seen the diagram of the bombers coming back from the war and it's showing you where the, um, where they've been hit. And they've said, right, we need to put armor there. It's like, no, those ones are the, all the ones that are actually coming back and surviving. Maybe we should put the armor where they're not being hit because they're the ones aren't, that aren't coming back. That's obviously the weak point. We're not seeing the ones that crash because they don't come back. So that must be where the issues are. Um, so that's what we should be doing, using data that's coming back from either testing or production to then be specific in 
the way that we're um, armoring our bombers, as it were, um, because otherwise you just get too heavy, you can't fly, you can't fly as fast, um, and you're eff effectively um, hamstringing yourself by kind of over-protecting or over-testing, as it were. And this idea of adhering to your software quality narrative ultimately has a positive impact on everybody, right? I mean, you're all about efficient processes and a thoughtful approach to how you spend your budget, things like this. It's nice to save the business some money, but an efficient approach benefits everybody, right? Yeah, definitely. So the big one is, uh, or the the easiest one to get past the shareholders and seniors is money. It's, it's cash at the end of the day, isn't it? If you can if you can make efficiencies in cost, you're going to probably get stuff signed off. But with that comes, like, say you've got a, a test environment that's just like we've got a place called Spaghetti Junction, and it's just a overlap and cross of roads and bridges and whatnot if you've got an environment that's like that it's going to be a nightmare being able to keep it in sync and um like your cycle time instead of being like a day will be like 10 days because the intricacies are so huge um you go through and rip that out and make it streamlined and efficient you're going to save the business days and days and days but also your developers and your qas are going to be so much happier because it like being able to just test something or just deploy something is going to be so much easier. So you save the business loads of money, then all of your um, employees within development are like way happier. Therefore, they're more productive. Therefore, you make more money. So it's like the infinite reward. <laughs> Absolutely. In this idea, this outcome hinges on that shared responsibility approach to digital quality, right? So understanding the why of software testing probably goes a long way toward getting the rest of the organization to buy in, which is what you started talking about earlier a little bit. Um, beyond that, what else can organizations do uh, to foster this idea of a shared approach to digital quality? And, and why is that so important? Um, so long story short is it's cheaper for one. Um, so if you get whoever writes your initial documentation, whether it's a business requirement document or um, a user story or a um, cucumber scenario, um, whatever it is, if that quality is higher, then therefore it will extrapolate out to less bugs. Um, and you catch all of the bugs uh, you go as far left as possible and catch as many bugs as you can because there's um, QA engineers and developers with the right mindset and software developers in test actually in the kind of um, sizing and shaping you, you're going to add more quality there it's almost free there because those people are being paid for you remove that and if everybody's invested in, in quality they'll want to remove those whereas back in the day you would just do your normal dev test, um, it going to prod, you'd find all the bugs, you'd put them back in. That's a mega, mega expensive way of doing it. Um, that's that's probably going to get everybody um, kind of behind it. But again, it's the, it's the happiness thing as well. Like you're, you're going to get um, happier people. You get less of the, oh, what is this coming through from the developer being like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Like this is impossible. It's not going to be a... Um, a uh, three story points this is like 21 story points it's got to go back through and then you get a, a, a developer that's interpreted a piece of requirement that they haven't seen yet 
and all that's been written poorly and it goes over to test and they're like i was in that refinement this is not what what they were talking about like we have to redo this um if you breed this quality mindset rather than just testing and unit test coverage and all that sort of stuff um you get it by being by being lean right build quality in rather than kind of shoehorning it in in the end and trying to manufacture quality and this takes time right i mean this takes a lot of time a lot of effort you have to win over a lot of hearts and minds i'm sure that's not always an easy battle right yeah definitely um so there's there's a the, the strategy there's lots of strategies to go about this you can be um like a, a belligerent warlord and just battle people until they just um surrender i guess or I'm guessing that's it. not the way to do it, though. I'm guessing there's a better way. Well, it depends. It depends how grey you want to be, I guess, um, and how long you've got. Um, it's, it's one way. Um, it's like hammering a screw into a wall. You can do it. It just won't be pretty. It will probably be able to hold a picture up, but you, I wouldn't want to put my TV on it. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and you'll make a blooming awful mess. Um, so I, I took. So I went through a transformation. I guess, process with my company and and a secondary one as well in terms of environments and taking a sales strategy or a um, pervasive marketing strategy on this is very advantageous where you go for the early adopters. Like that, that's the, that's the best way to do. You want to incite pervasive excitement. You go to the people that want to do it. You go to them first and you rally them up and you pep them up. Um, and then you watch the um, seniors who weren't involved um, say, well, all this excitement and uh, I wasn't involved. And this thing sounds like something that I should be behind and I should be the sponsor of this. And it, it, it's pervasive that way. If you try to battle through the people who don't want to do it, um, you're going to have a really tough time. And then the propaganda that comes out of that is going to be a bit lackluster anyway whereas if you go for the people that are there for quality they're there because they want to change because make money or make happy or whatever um that pervasive happiness will be yeah exponential that's that's the way i'd go about it not just because it's easier um it's just more productive in the long run for sure and at the end of the day, too, it's really all about delivering a product that the customer not only wants, but will want to use. And there's a differentiation there. Um, how can organizations better prioritize the customer's needs as part of their digital quality strategy? Yeah, I guess this is, a, this is an interesting, interesting one. I've spoken about this, I guess, a couple of times where you've got to remember you're not delivering code. Code is the um, enabler to customer experience. Um, so you're delivering, like people say, oh yeah, it's just a user story. It's, you've got to remember it's to concentrate. It is a user story. It's a story, right? And you're, it's got to make sense. It's not a, as a product owner, I want this field to equal that so that this will then have that output. That's not a story. That's just a requirement. That's kind of, you're kind of missing the point of writing things that way. If you're going to do that, go back to just writing requirements. You want a story of a user and you want to be inclusive of journeys and see how people um, experience the code as it were um, you need to be kind of thinking like that you're not a work item machine or a code delivery machine or a user story machine you are delivering 
user stories or user journeys that create customer benefit and business benefit. Like you need to stop thinking like an engineer and start thinking like a customer. Um, that's that's the big one. We've spent all this time trying to make sure that the code is as great as possible and super efficient and really, uh, really jazzy with all the new JavaScript and node um, functions and whatnot. That's great. We've got there. We can quit that now. Let's have a look at the user experience, shall we? James, in one sentence, what does digital quality mean to you? I would describe it like I remember the first way someone described punk rock to me. It's not just a genre, it's a way of life. Um, and it's it is very similar. Um, it should be, it's not just a, a title or it's not just a, a thing that you say. It's, a, it's like an ethos, you know, like people talk about DevOps or Lean or Kanban or whatever. You can't just do it. You need to like, you need to be it <laughs> and the company needs to be there. So yeah, it needs to be a, almost it needs to be like a feeling and a, a movement rather than like a process because people tend to switch off from stuff like that and people are going to need to want to do it. So digital quality is everybody wanting that customer experience at the end and the employee experience in terms of deployment and delivery being really high quality and very low effort. Like that's the that's the gold, isn't it? We want to we want to get to that and digital quality helps enable that in my opinion. I'll have to follow up with uh, with uh, some band recommendations or something like that, James. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned on that. Uh, but let's go to the next question. Uh, what, what is one software testing trend that you find promising? So we're having this. I was having this discussion with um, our principal engineers, um, and one thing that I want I'm desperate to talk to them about. And we've, we're going to dedicate an entire um, working group session to is mutation testing. So it's kind of like a, it's when you can crawl and you figure that out and then you can walk. Yeah. You figure that out. You can run. Yeah. And then, then there's the sprinting. Um, so don't sprint before you can crawl. So we're not quite there yet. So we need to figure out the running bit, but mutation testing is the, in my opinion, is the, um, is the next best thing. And it's kind of silly because it's like testing, whether your testing is testing properly. Um, it, sh it shows like the quality of your testing. Um, so you're purposefully mutating things and checking to see that your quality processes and your testing processes are robust. So you're, it's like the who will guard the guards, like you're, you're making sure that the guards are, um, uh, are, are guarding properly and your tests are testing correctly and mutation testing. Um, it's kind of like a, an offshoot of um, chaos testing um, will check like the robustness of your quality systems. So I'm, I'm quite interested in that. And as we've talked about this, clearly a need, need for that, uh, that introspection, right. And to evaluate your own processes. So that makes sense. Uh, James, what is your favorite app to use in your downtime? Um, I spend a lot of time in YouTube. Um, really really so yeah i I'm, I'm on the beta for um youtuber as well and have been for a while i'm testing even when i'm not testing um that's quite sad just thought of that um <laughs> but no it, that's just someone that or if i if i refer to them if i'm to personify a comp company that's someone who knows what they're doing in terms of we want to deliver a customer experience so what do we want them to experience 
and it can have bugs potentially but it's the fact that the the thought that has gone in to enrich a small area of an application that that's that, that's important very important for me like one of my uh, one of the earliest moments of that that is just one of those that is just excellent kind of moments is in slack on the mobile app if you grew, if you used to be able to grab the top corner of a picture and then swipe instead of the picture just falling down it would spin based on the physics of where you've put your finger and where you've thrown it like it's absolutely unnecessary i don't need that but very much enjoyed and it's that level of detail that i think makes makes a good app like people can have p1s and p2s and you just say yeah it's, it's broken or the back end's down but it's the p3s and the p4s that really that really make an app like outstanding and those sort of that sort of stuff that was obviously like a, a hackathon like a hack day thing that's gone into prod that's what that's what makes a great app in my opinion it's the little touches sometimes just those little details go a long way exactly and james finally what is something you are hopeful for Ooh, wow. Um, something that I'm hopeful for, that I'm hopeful for, I guess, two of the points that um, we've touched on today is that quality, like ethos, that mindset is um, like baked into everybody rather than it being trying to deliver things and deliver code. It's about delivering customer experience um, and delivering it with quality. Um, I'm hopeful for that. It's, it's the uh, momentum of that seems to be picking up um, because we're getting into that area where the old techniques, software quality um, techniques are becoming redundant because that area is just, it's been, you, you've, you've rounded that circle so much, it's absolutely perfectly round. So you can move on to the next shape now. Um, I think that's a, that's a that's a big one for me. Um, uh, almost everything that we've spoken about, I think I'm, I'm quite hopeful that the, ta the tables are kind of turned from like, how much can we kind of plumb into the development? It's now like, how much can we kind of invest in quality? Because it's going to be cheaper in the, in the long run. Well, James, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully everybody's learned something or enjoyed it. Thanks once again to James Mortlock. You can also catch James on a recent webinar he did with Applause called How Vodafone Shifted User Acceptance Testing Left. You can find the link to that on-demand webinar in our podcast notes. Thanks to our producers, Joe Stella and Sam Susala, and our creative team, including Megan Golick and Carly Searles. Hit us with a subscribe, drop a comment, leave a review, or let us know what you think about the podcast by emailing at podcasts at applause.com. We'll see you next time.